Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Mason Lieberman for PUBG Mobile. And before I get too much into it, I want to talk about this track for just a quick sec. Uh, because this song you're hearing, it's called Night Away. Uh, it's very rare for me to open the podcast with a track that has vocals, because it's really difficult to talk over singing. It's just generally ill-advised in audio production to talk over a vocal track. But this track is just too great, and I love it so much, and I wanted to open with it. So there you go. And as I said, composer Mason Lieberman, he wrote this track for PUBG Mobile, which is published by Tencent Games, and that's who Mason works for and writes most of his music for. Hang on, this is a short tune. We'd better start it over so we have enough music before the interview starts. Now, as you'll hear, Mason has written a ton of music for a ton of projects. Tencent is a giant company, like beyond comprehension. And so sometimes uh, the music he writes on different projects is a result of working for Tencent uh, and all of the projects that that company is involved in. But also he does loads of anime and other projects that have nothing to do with Tencent. So he's got a a lot of different things that he's uh, up to these days. You can see a video of the conversation I had with Mason on the Level with Emily YouTube channel. Although you'll only see Mason, not me, because I clicked a thing on Zoom uh, that's fixed now, but nonetheless, for this episode, just Mason. But do check it out on YouTube, and please do subscribe. One quick item of note before we jump into Mason's music and conversation. We are here at Level going to start having listening parties on Discord, and we're going to move the times around for these listening parties to accommodate overseas listeners And we're going to start it over one more time. We also plan to work with another set of folks on this in some way, and we'll give you more details on these Discord listening parties and or other events soon. And of course, I'll talk about them here on the podcast. You can join the Level with Emily Discord server by becoming a patron at any amount on patreon.com slash level. All right, back to Mason. I met Mason at VGMCon. It's held here in Minneapolis, and uh, this year it was during the first weekend of April here in 2022. And Mason and I did a panel together about his career. So this is largely kind of a reiteration of that conversation, but we go into a few more things too. In any event, here is Mason. My name is Mason Lieberman. I am the senior composer and audio supervisor at Tencent, uh, managing the Lightspeed and Quantum audio pipeline. Uh, In no particular order, that means that I spend an awful lot of time creating music, working with sound designers or voice actors, um, and just generally solving problems and creating stuff for games like PUBG Mobile, Apex Legends Mobile, Teamfight Tactics in China, Game for Peace in China, and just a host of others. Um, And since a lot of these are games as a service titles, uh, we do a lot of crossovers with other brands. So that means that I've worked with IP like Spider-Man, like Mobile Suit Gundam, Neon Genesis Evangelion, Ultraman, uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, and a jillion others uh, in the process of doing this. Tesla, Lamborghini, you name it. Yeah, because, I mean, Tencent is such a huge company and, you know, they kind of have their fingers in a lot of gaming pies, too. So, you know, (laughs) it sounds like that that would just be uh, nice to be able to work in so many different uh, 
products, you know? I mean, I just can't imagine that you get bored with what you're... It just seems like you're constantly bouncing around. I'm incredibly hyperactive, and so this is like a dream job in that way. Um, it's very different every single day. Um, I get a lot of questions from students like, oh, what's like a normal day like? <laughs> and I usually just kind of like give like that thousand year stare and just go, what is normal? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I don't know. It, it changes every single week. You know, some days are very, you know, communication heavy and I'm dealing with like outside vendors, making sure that they understand what we need and making sure that we get the right kind of music. And some days I'm like, you know, hard grinding for like an orchestral recording session in like LA or Prague or wherever it is a given week. Some days it's just all in the box. It's all computer. It's all production. You know, some days I'm doing hard rock vocals. Some days it's like EDM. Sometimes it's pure classical orchestra jazz, you name it, like every genre, every style, all over the place, all of the time. And do you ever wish you could just do one? Or do you, I mean, you kind of said it's your personality. Yeah, I, I've i never been very good at focusing on one thing at a time. <laughs> um, when I was starting up my career, I was like, I'm going to be a composer and a recording artist and a producer, and I'm going to ADR music direct and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And then I did, uh, because I really could not make one thing work. I just kind of had to try and do as many as possible. And for me, that's what built a full career. Um, I didn't actually mention, outside of Tencent, I have a pretty long history working in the anime industry and in games in general, um, working as a composer, a recording artist, a music producer, an ADR music director, etc., for just a ton of shows and franchises, including in no particular order, having worked on uh, League of Legends, Super Smash Bros, uh, Wii U 3DS, uh, Star Wars Visions, Beyblade, Ruby, Rising of the Shield Hero, Sarazanmai, uh, Sarazanmai, Robihachi, How Heavy Are the Dumbbells You Lift, Zombieland Saga, How Not to Summon a Demon Lord, Back Arrow, Shadow's House, um, Pokemon the Animated Series, Star Wars Visions, um, it, it goes on and on forever. Um, yeah. I, I do, do a lot of random stuff in a lot of very <laughs> random roles. <laughs> yeah. And now you and I had, uh, uh, uh the pleasure of doing a panel together. <clears throat> Excuse yeah, me. Yeah. That uh, was so much fun. Thank you so much, Emily. It was great at VGM con. It was, uh, here in Minneapolis the first weekend in April and it was awesome to have you here and to get to know you and, um, you know, do the, do the panel with you and, uh, um, I've completely lost my train of thought, which is fantastic. Um, it was great to get to meet you too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now, in that panel, you mentioned that you had gotten to travel to Japan a lot because you had this person come stay with your family, and we had that. We had a, a someone come from Sweden, and he's still a part of our family too. Like I have a yeah. Swedish brother, so this is exactly. what happened with your family. So tell 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 me about that. So I was a pretty young kid. I was probably about eight years old, I think like first or second grade, something around then. Um, and my hometown, I grew up in Tyler, Texas, East Texas, uh, middle of nowhere, basically, um, maybe like two hours from Dallas or something. Um, <laughs> we had a sister cities program uh, with this uh, place outside of Tokyo in Japan. And uh, this woman basically was an educator. She was a teacher who was sent to our community to, you know, 
promote cultural diversity, teach people about Japanese culture, etc. for a year. Um, her name was Junko, and she lived with me and my family for a little over a year during that period of time. And it was wonderful. It was very educational. Um, you know, there are a lot of very cute pictures of <laughs> me and my sister who is like a year and 51 weeks older than me for reference, being like little kids wearing like kimonos and doing tea ceremonies with her and like going to Disneyland and all this stuff. Um, and of course, you know, being eight, we got, I got very attached to her, you know. She yeah. was basically like an older sister to me. Um, Junko came from a traditional Shinto family and had an arranged marriage. So when I was eight years old, they literally sent over the man who was going to marry her while she was with us to say, hey, this is Hiro Hanzawa. He's going to be your husband. Uh, and so <laughs> we met him at basically the same time that she did. Um, and of course, we went to the wedding and my dad was going to give a speech as basically her foster dad from America, from her time there, to speak about her experiences overseas. Um, and... We went over and we were like basically with the family the entire time. And we did a, uh, I guess you would call it like a formal portrait or whatever of the extended families kind of coming together as like one group, um, which remains one of the funniest photos that we have because I want you to basically just picture like 30 or 40 uh, like native Japanese people all in like formal wear, all looking fantastic, very clean. Um, you know, facing straight on the camera, very serious faces. Um, and then, like, five dumb Americans who are all just, like, <laughs> grinning and cheesing it for the camera because <laughs> we didn't know that that wasn't what you were supposed to do. <laughs> and so it's a very, very, like, you know, it's a very funny picture. But ever since that wedding, basically, we've considered Junko, like, an adoptive sister. My parents have considered her, like, a daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and I've considered her family like mine. You know, I think of myself as having three Japanese nieces, basically. <laughs> um, and that was actually one of the big inspirations for me to start studying Japanese back in college was that I had this family over there and Junko could speak pretty solid English. You know, she'd lived here for a year, but her kids were young. It was much harder for them. And I wanted to be able to still try to connect with them on some way. So I started learning Japanese. And that also, that relationship led you to have a little bit of a unique experience in terms of Japanese media too, right? Like mm -hmm. me growing up in central Iowa, I, I didn't know people who watched anime or read any, well, comics either, you know? So, I mean, I, I didn't have that connection, but you had a really special relationship there to, to understand some of that and consume that. Yeah. Um, I mean, from basically the age of eight onward, you know, obviously, like every other kid in America at that time, I was obsessed with Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, like <laughs> all of these shows that at that age, I wouldn't have even realized were anime. Like, they were just cartoons to me. Sure. Um, somewhere in America, thousands of anime fans are like losing their shit that I just said that. <laughs> um, but like, Junko would send me like uh, Japanese... Uh, version like manga for me to read even though I didn't speak the language so it's like I have one of the original copies of like the first printing of Dragon Ball in the original <laughs> Japanese uh, the uh, the kid Goku like the original arc uh, type stuff and like 
I one of my first Pokemon games was Pokemon Crystal, which I got from Japan in Japanese before it had come out in America. So like I would go to school, the other kids would be like, guys, there's this other Pokemon game that's coming. It's called <laughs> Crystal. It's going to be amazing. And they'd be like, we don't believe you. And I'm like, what's this? And they'd like think that I somehow made it or something because kids are wild. <laughs> Um, but like, yeah, you know, I was playing games and listening to music and watching anime from a really young age. And, you know, I owe a lot of that to Junko. Um, she introduced me to a lot of that stuff. And I think that that's part of maybe what ultimately led me down the career path that I am now, because so much of the sound of this stuff was something that I grew up accustomed to. And a lot of times when in any culture, like any time that you're asked to write music authentically from a given cultural perspective or background, um, the hardest thing to do is to get your ear into it, is to hear it the way that someone who's from that culture, from that community would hear it originally. Like that's the thing that you can't really fake for lack of better word. Like yeah. you are always influenced by the musical tropes of your own culture you're always influenced by the sounds that you heard growing up and what certain things feel like to you based on the music that you listen to. Um, and because I had experience with this music from a young age, uh, it helped me to kind of be able to kind of analyze it in a way and understand it and see what it was intended to be and how it was intended to feel and what it meant. And, you know, obviously it's not the same as being a uh, native uh, Japanese speaker, not the same as being a native person from that uh, community who grew up with that music. But to a certain degree, I did grow up with the music. It was yeah. something that surrounded me my entire childhood, mm -hmm. um, which I think helped a lot, especially with like the first few jobs when, you know, you're just hard grinding really fast and you don't have time to second guess yourself and you just have to hope that it's good. And having that in my back pocket, like having that experience and that uh, information made it so that sometimes it was still good, you know, all things considered. Uh, kept me from getting fired, we'll say. <laughs> trying to decide where I want to go next here because because there are a lot of things that 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 brings up for me. I I do want to know a little bit more about you know your your role with your title because it, you know and you touched on this a little bit where you know every day is different. Some days are really like communication heavy and correspondence mm -hmm. heavy and and I mean to what degree do you feel like sometimes you really are just piecing together a puzzle and getting people to come together to make the thing that needs to be made. I would say that that is every single day. <laughs> um, so, you know, for what it's worth, um, with any AAA company, and I don't think Tencent is any different here, um, there are so many things going on at any given time that it would be impossible for any one person to just be privy to all of it, to be on the ball for every single thing. Yeah. So I'm really lucky that we have a fantastic team of a ton of creators involved to help make the process smoother and easier. And it's very important that 
when you're working on uh, stuff like this, when you're working with this many people, that you need to be as open and communicative as possible because you're probably not operating with perfect information. Um, we almost never are. You know, the reality is there's almost always something that ties in with the project you're working on that you're just not familiar with because you're not on that part of the project. <laughs> and if someone gives you feedback on something that doesn't need that doesn't make sense, uh, you need to communicate that and try and ask for clarity and understand where they're coming from and operate with the assumption that everything is being said in good faith. Um, so as far as kind of the nature of the work, I'm not sure if I'm still on uh, grasp with the question you had, but <laughs> you I'm are. trying anyway. You're doing great. Um, <laughs> thank you. Sorry. I honestly <laughs> lost my train of thought too. Um, clearly one of those days for both of us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's the weather uh, changing. Oh my gosh. It is so hot out here. Uh, <laughs> back to what I was saying. Yeah. Um, so it's my job to try and understand the history of what we've done, the sound of it, the feel of it, what the fans expect, and to make sure that our audio team, all of our other composers, any of the audio vendors we're working with, uh, and so on, are able to reach that standard, are able to provide those experiences that the fans want. Um, and hopefully, in the process, we uncover new things that they didn't know that they wanted. Um, you know, it's not just about trying to do the exact same thing that we've done 3,000 times. It's also about finding those new vantage points and new perspectives that could make a player go, oh, I'm really happy that I opened the game today. This is so cool. Um, and we're always looking for that kind of thing. You know, we always want to find something interesting. And for me, as a composer, you know, when you're a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Every time I'm looking for a new way to do something cool, I think musically. And I think, oh, it would be so cool if we got this kind of artist, or we got someone from this background, or we got someone who specializes in this music. And what if, instead of doing this thing that everyone usually does with it, and that's super obvious... What if we just tried it like this and, you know, let's see what happens. We can explore, you know, benefit of being a large company. We can afford to fail and try again periodically. Um, you know, Tencent tends to be very flexible at giving us the opportunity to try out an approach and then make sure that we're scheduling in such a way where we have time to try again if the initial idea is doesn't turn out to be solid. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, and that brings up another point, too. It's just how how you have got to be on top of all these trends musically that are happening. And mm -hmm. how how do you do that? And, you know, it's clear that, you know, you're very upfront about how, you know, you don't rely on only you to do this. You you ask yeah. for help and stuff. But but, you know, clearly you do stay on top of trends somehow. So what what are your ways like uh, do you just like put on? j-pop top 40 or i mean how are you how, how do you uh, do that i have a small collection of zoomers who just send me stuff and tell me that i'm an old man periodically <laughs> keeps me young um no but in all seriousness um music is something it is a communal experience it's something that's meant to be shared and i really go out of my way to like get friends to like show me their stuff show me what they're working on um, I'm constantly trying to find new music. I absolutely love just like deep diving into like Spotify or whatever and just like riding the algorithm off into the distance and seeing where I end up. <laughs> and, you know, it 
gets me into a lot of really weird stuff and like my for you uh like daily uh, feed on uh, Spotify yeah. is complete and utter gibberish. Oh yeah. But it ends up giving me a lot of interesting stuff and you know that's sometimes where I find a lot of my J-pop references, a cool. lot of my C-pop references, a lot of my K-pop um my East Asian pop in general, I guess you yeah. might say. Um, it's often where I'll find a lot of my soundtracks. Um, I- I'm trying to listen to stuff all the time. You know, I, I think that there's kind of a classic uh, idiom that like a chef who doesn't eat isn't a chef. A writer <laughs> who doesn't read isn't really a writer. A musician who doesn't listen to music probably isn't a great musician. Um and I don't know if I would ever call myself a great musician, but I definitely try to listen to a lot of great music. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I try to surround myself with talented artists who are constantly inspiring me, who are doing amazing stuff all the time. And, you know, that helps me wake up every morning and be like, oh, my God, I get to do this for a living. <laughs> Holy shit. Is there a special style that that grabs you immediately that you get most excited to do? Because I think, you know, when you listen to a good composer's music, such as yourself, you can hear the care and thought that goes into all their music. But I do think that, you know, there must be one where you're like, oh, yes, I get to do more J-pop today. Or, oh, my God, I get to do a chamber piece for this relaxing section in this game. Or, you know, what what Mm -hmm. stirs your, you know, stuff? (laughs) Um. So, kind of two answers. Um, One of them is the thing that I probably get thought of the most for, which is J-Rock. I love doing J-Rock. At the moment, I probably end up doing, like, one or two songs in J-Rock style, like, per week at this point. Like, it comes up all the time. And I have just, like, albums and albums worth of this stuff at this point that are, like, in a jillion different projects. Um, That's always a ton of fun. Um, and for me, like, I'm very excessive in my music production. Like, I like things loud. I like them big. Um, I use probably way too much reverb. I'm sure that every single mix <laughs> engineer in the audience is cringing when they listen to my mixes. Um, but I'm a big fan of, like, oh, man, it would be so cool if there's, like, four guitar parts. Oh, and a full string orchestra. Oh, my God, what if there's synthesizers in here, too? Oh, man, let's throw a choir in there. Why not? Oh, yeah, the piano's going to have a crazy line that goes, woo, over here. And, like... <laughs> Before I know it, it's like 200 tracks of like 70 or 80 different musical parts going simultaneously and just like massive walls of sound. I love doing that. On a very different perspective side of things, um, I actually really love doing like jazz and jazz fusion. Um, yeah. I love funk fusion in particular. 
Nice. Um, it is so much fun to me in any genre, not just here, but this is one of those places where I feel like I really feel the benefit of it. Um, I don't really write for instruments. I write for players. And I try to think of like, oh, I don't want a trumpet solo. I want John Robert Motts on trumpet. Um, and I don't want a violin solo. I want Jeff Ball, or I might want like Molly Rogers, uh, etc. You know, like I sure. think in those terms and specific players, specific sounds. And for me, when you're doing funk, it's just like a group of people in a room just jamming along, feeling each other, and they're all doing that to each other. And it's so much fun. Uh, I love to just like sit on a groove and just like slowly expand and feel out every single textural detail of like a guitarist comping out or a bassist grooving along and having fun. You know, it reminds me of college to a fair degree. I'm a huge fan of jam sessions. So like that kind of stuff is just a huge blast. Um, my uh, soundtrack for the upcoming indie title, Renane, has a lot of that stuff actually. And you know, I wish that I had more games in that vibe. Um, because it's such a fun world to enter. that when you're doing like jazz more jazz oriented tracks that you're kind of stepping out of the way more in terms of composing because you know jazz musicians are often reading from lead sheets and all this stuff I mean speak about that so I am a very big believer in writing what I sometimes loosely call 80% of a part um, <laughs> I think that and this isn't just for jazz I do this in all genres. I do this with my rock guitarists. I do this with my piano soloists and everything. Sure. Um, I, the way that I often will produce things is I play a lot of instruments and I will play the part myself and send people an audio reference of me doing everything. And I would say that that reference is like 80% of the way to what I want. Like it sounds really solid. Most of the detail work is there. A lot of the actual lines are exactly the way I intended. All the hits are there, etc. Mm -hmm. um, but I will get to that final 20% and say, hey, I want your take on this. I want the thing that you would do that only you can do that brings this to the next level. And that's usually what you then hear on the final versions of my tracks. Mm -hmm. um, I love working with insanely talented musicians who just have creative ideas, who have like an angle and a perspective on things. I would rather meet a player who I can only hire once a year than 300 times a year if that <laughs> once a year is like the most memorable thing that I do that year. Like I want someone who's going to do something that no one else is willing to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm always looking for like the, the crazy ones, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of fun.
You mentioned too, just the wall of sound that you love to, and and you know, especially you know, if you go to Mason's website, MasonLieberman.com, and you listen to the real. Uh, you know that a lot of your favorites are those epic orchestral, <laughs> and it's so funny because because a, a track will start and they'll be like, "Oh, this is like orchestra," and then you'll hear like electric, the guitars will come in, they're like, you know, and they're like wailing, and then like synth will come in, and then there'll be like taiko drums, and and it really is, it's like a little bit of everything, but yet a that, little bit of everything all of the time. Yeah, but um, I mean, but that's also the style, right? I mean, I think yeah. that's very indicative of. You so know, coming that style, yeah, I would say coming from anime, uh, a aesthetic where oftentimes we do literally more or less throw everything in the kitchen sink. Like people yeah. expect that full orchestra and that full choir yeah. and those rock guitars and those synthesizers and everything in between. You know, some kind of unique, crazy soloist in a style you've never heard of. Yeah, and it's all very quirky and it's very energetic and it's very wild. And it's very melodic. Melodic is a big part of this, too. Um, That is such a big influence on my style and everything that I do. Um, Working on anime changed who I am as a composer (laughs) in every single way that I can think of. It changed my harmonic language. It changed the way that I think of melody. It changed the way that I look at how you should score a scene. It changed my approach to linear media. It changed my approach to interactive media. Like, any way that, like, I am a musician has been heavily impacted by the experiences I've had on the things I've worked on. And since anime has been such a large part of that, you know, anime has definitely changed me quite a bit as a musician. (laughs) And you mentioned that you've got a a soundtrack coming out soon or a game coming out soon. Can you tell me more about that? It's not coming out soon, or at least I'm not totally sure on that. We're still in development on it. Uh, but yeah, Renane, uh, it's actually one of the oldest titles that I've been working on, because um, at this point I've been working on it for like, I think five or six years, you know, oh, classic indie game uh, development story. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, very jazzy. It's very funky. Um, it's this uh, 8-bit uh, action platformer RPG roguelike thing um, with very quirky earthboundy characters and just a fun, jammy, groovy soundtrack with a lot of human voice all over it. And honestly, it's what—it's some of the most fun that I've had as a composer, just period. And it's very, very me, for lack of a better word. It's something I'm very <laughs> personally close to. Well, and we talked about this a bit more in the panel that we did together. But, you know, jazz is a big part of your background because you ended up studying that in college. Do you want to talk a little <laughs> bit about that? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty um, funny. <laughs> You know, big shout outs to my parents for um, not making the obvious determination of saying, why do you want to get a degree in like jazz cello? That seems like a bad idea. (laughs) Um, Spoiler alert, it was a bad idea, but uh, it it worked out. You know, sometimes it just works out. Yep. Um, My uh, professional trajectory educationally, I graduated high school very young just because I skipped some grades when I was a young kid. So I was 16 when I finished high school, and I wanted to go to Berkeley up in Boston, Berkeley College of Music, and my parents were like, you're 16, don't (laughs) go across the country quite yet, Yeah. get to 18, you can reassess however you want at that point. So I went to a local university close to where I lived, uh, Stephen F. Austin State University, big shout outs to Dr. Stephen Lias and Dr. Evgeny Raichev, 
two of my biggest mentors by far. Nice. Um, because of those two gentlemen. Uh, I went there to study with them. Uh, Rachev was my cello teacher. Lias was my composition teacher. And frankly, a lot of what I know today really stems almost more to that time than to Berkeley, even, to mm -hmm. a certain degree. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, I learned a ton at Berkeley, and there it was just very different things I focused on. Yeah, sure. Um, a lot of my fundamentals as a musician came from SFA. And then a lot of the detail work and the networking and like the tech side of things and the jazz, for sure, came from Berkeley. Um, okay. But I got my classical origin kind of down there. And then when I turned 18, I auditioned and I got accepted to Berkeley. I moved up to Boston um, and I got a degree in pro music, which was sort of like Berkeley's version of a create your own degree. And mm. most people use it as a create your own way to graduate really quickly because you screwed up your degree path. Um, <laughs> I was not one of those people. I was the nerd who had a copy of the course uh, catalog on my phone and would like idly just like scroll through the courses like finding cool teachers or cool classes that I really wanted to take yeah and then I would demo reel my way into those classes regardless of what the prereqs were by just going to the department heads and trying to convince them that I wouldn't fail the class if I did it <laughs> um and that was how I got my video game scoring minor actually because you weren't supposed to be able to get that minor without being in one of the tech majors which I by definition was not okay um, a lot of people get confused by this. I was not actually a film scoring major at Berkeley. Um, I there was no video game scoring minor ba or major back then, mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't an EPD uh, electronic production design guy either, or a contemporary writing and production, or sure. any major that would have made sense. Frankly, <laughs> um, my degree focused on cello performance, which I learned a lot of jazz in. It was very wow. jazz heavy cello performance. Um, it focused on music business. I was one of the inaugural students in the, uh, the very unfortunately named Berkeley Ice, uh, Berkeley Institute for Creative Entrepreneurship, um, video game scoring minor, of course, um, and then just some general production-focused things. I wanted to try and shore up what I thought were my weaknesses. Um, I took songwriting courses, lyric writing, all the things that I thought would hopefully make me a more well-rounded musician, because I felt going into it like, oh, yeah... I feel pretty good about like my composition chops. I feel pretty good about myself as a cello player, but let's get like a wider range of cello going. Let's learn this technology stuff that I don't have a background in. Mm -hmm. um, let's learn what a DAW is, you know, like, <laughs> all, a lot of things that are like really basic for the job that I do are things that I learned at Berkeley. Yeah. Um, I started comparatively late uh, for the technical side of things. Oh, you think so? Uh, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. did not have a computer until senior year of high school. Like, okay. the first time that I ever wrote music was for my cello audition at Stephen F. Austin in senior year of high school after Christmas. And to be totally honest, the only reason that I wrote something was because I was too lazy to learn a concerto. And I was just like, <laughs> well, if it's something that I write, it'll be easier to memorize. So I just wrote something that covered my weaknesses, and I auditioned on that. <laughs> Um, oh, it was wow. not good. It was not a good piece of music. Um, <laughs> Does it still exist somewhere? I hope Do you not. know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure that somewhere it does. Yeah. But if I'm totally honest with you, I spent most of yesterday reproducing a piece of music that I'd written like five years ago because oh, I wow. couldn't find the folder for that one. So I really <laughs> doubt that I've got the files <clears throat> for something from high school. That's yeah, very true. 
Very true. Um, you know. Yeah. Back up your data, folks. It disappears <laughs> in a flash. Oh, man. I've had some hard drives stop working. So much so that I was like, what kind of federal crime can I do so that the FBI will restore these for me? <laughs> like, oh, my I- God. Because that oh, shit's that, expensive. You are, you are one of the real ones, Emily. Thank you so much. Uh, if my FBI uh, agent is listening on this call, yeah. it's okay. We're good. We're yeah, fine. We're fine. There's nothing happening. I just have a cat. Nothing weird. <laughs> nothing weird. And I have three cats. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man. Well, what's coming up for you? What are you working on now that you can talk about, you know? Yeah, so... Uh, obviously Tencent takes up the vast majority of my time because mm-hmm. uh, I work there. Um, <laughs> we've got a lot of really cool stuff coming down the pipeline, especially on the PUBG mobile side. Um, obviously, I can't share it right now or say what it is on this podcast, but you heard uh, a little <laughs> bit of what I was working on right before we started recording this. I did. Um, and it'll be a lot of fun, and it's going to have a lot of our mutual friends uh, on the recording. Sweet. Um There's some charity stuff coming down the pipeline. I'm a big fan of doing charity work. Um, A lot of people, some people will know my music from, uh, you know, producing like the official charity vinyl with like Cowboy Bebop and working with Yoko Kano and the seatbelts on that. Hmm. Um, And, you know, I have new stuff that I'm working on with a lot of really amazing musicians. Can't wait to announce that soon. Um, Recently, the Soundfall... uh, my involvement with the indie game Soundfall was announced. Uh, I contributed a hip hop song on that called nice. uh, "Was uh, Fall Away." Uh, need to remember the name of my own song. Um, <laughs> that was really cool. Um, shout outs to Zed Tabani, the rapper on that track, for killing it. Um, and yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I've got a couple of anime soundtracks that are coming out this year that I'm involved with, none of which I can announce at this particular moment, (laughs) but at least three or four of which will be out before the end of the year, uh, possibly as soon as this season, hint, hint. Um, (laughs) so, you know, there's a lot of stuff, uh, to be really excited about. Excellent. Um, I, I am curious, you know, a place like Tencent, for instance, has, I'm sure a budget enough that you can do orchestral recordings. And I know that you do yeah. work with live orchestra and stuff like that. Do you ever just say, you know what? We don't need to do that this time. Let's just stay in the box. Or do you just seize the opportunity and you're like, let's go orchestra all day. I, it's uh, it's totally situational. Um, okay. So that makes sense. I yeah. will almost never say no to live recording. Sure. Um, there absolutely are situations where like the idea of getting a certain track in front of a full orchestra is just an exhausting amount of labor and it isn't necessary for what we would be putting them in front of an orchestra for. Right. And it wouldn't make sense from like a budget perspective. It's like, oh yeah, this is like a minute of music and the orchestra's in 10 seconds of it. Like, why are we going to like spend $20,000 for like, you know, a minute of like, you know, nothing. Um, and in those kinds of positions, yeah, I would totally just go to the box. Sure. Um, but it depends on the music, you know, most of the time, Unless it's, like, a genre-specific thing where you're trying to do, like, say, a 90s throwback and you want it to sound like it was done on a rompler. Um, usually we want live music wherever we can because human beings just sound better than programming it. Yeah. Just objectively, it's true. 
Um, and in those situations, with that in mind, it's always a great honor to get to work with talented musicians and amazing recording artists whenever we can. Um, and yeah, Tencent, by and large, does have the budgets where we're able to go after that, where we're able to pursue those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things I love most about working with Tencent. You know, it's not just this idea of I'm going to find amazing musicians, but I can work with artists who I love and like I can recommend, oh, I don't just want a flute player or an oboe player. I want Kristen Nygus because I love what she does on everything. <laughs> yeah. So let's get Kristen on here. Yeah. I love John Robert Motts and what he does. I love David Gibson McLean and what he does. And let's just bring these amazing people, you know, Takahiro Obata on piano. And I, it's so much fun to bring musicians who you love in and to get to contribute to their livelihood, to get to give them money, give them work, and then to get to share this project with them, share this experience that for the rest of your lives, you always have this thing in common that you did together. Um, and it's just really cool. You know, it's one of the most intimate things that you can do to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, sharing creativity with other people like that and both kind of putting your all into a track and putting it out into the world and hoping that the fans like it. I'm gonna take it down. You're gonna face me. So let's break it down. We've been chasing Blood in the air, I can smell it The champion's here, go and tell it Now turn around Because lightning don't strike twice Well, Mason, I mean, what else do you want to say about what you do or what you've got coming up? Making a career in music is really hard. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. There is no such thing as making it, there's no finish line. There's just the constant process of continuing to make it. Um, And, you know, the people who are successful in this field are mostly just the ones who are still here like five years later. So if you're a composer, if you're a musician, if you're someone who wants to be a part of the video game music world, the anime music world, go out for it. Just start putting yourself out there, start making things, do covers, collaborate in fan communities, and approach developers, you know, offer your musical services, go out to events like Game Developers Conference, GDC in uh, San Francisco, or Game Sound Con uh, in Los Angeles, or, you know, Gamescom in Cologne, or Tokyo Game Show in Tokyo, and (laughs) so on and so forth, Uh, and just share your stuff, you know, be a part of the community. Um, That's what I did, and it works. It is probably the most effective way to build up a reputation over time. And that's really what you need if you want to get booked. It is a wonderful community of people. I just, I do love it. Such wonderful people. Yeah. My God. It's good stuff. Um, And so talented too, you know. Yeah. The number of absolute geniuses, even just on the fan community side, just like (laughs) wildly talented musicians who you're like, why aren't you like, super famous <laughs> and sometimes they literally are and you're like oh yeah that checks out yeah <laughs> um but you know video game music is for everyone everyone can enjoy it everyone can appreciate it and everyone could be making it frankly yeah. um everyone should have to make video game music as their career um that's the new rule 
it, it will keep me very busy if that happens. I know. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and that's my goal, you know, to be totally honest, this entire uh, interview has been a long form plug for keep Emily Reese employed. Um, <laughs> I'll accept my under the table payment now. Thank you so much, Emily. <laughs> you got it, man. <laughs> Mason, such a pleasure to, to get to hang with you last weekend and to get to speak with you again today. Thanks for all you do. Sure thing. It's an honor. Oh, and uh, one last important note. Um, this podcast is brought to you by Raid Shadow Legends, the only game where... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to do it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you for listening to Level with Emily. You can learn more about Mason Lieberman, see a playlist, and support Level with Emily at patreon.com slash level. Check out the video of our chat with Mason Lieberman on the Level with Emily YouTube channel, and please do subscribe to our YouTube channel to get all of our new videos of interviews. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hello. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Composer Brad Gentle manages our YouTube channel. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc. Here at Level with Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. You can hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.